0: Welcome to South Park Church. Whether you're here in person or watching online or listening to our podcast, we're glad you're spending time with us today. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Just grateful to be in this series that Kevin mentioned, the art of neighboring. It's amazing to think a hundred churches in our city, over fifty thousand people, are studying the same scripture, hearing the same message, uh, and then being sent out into our community to do the same thing this week. And I think that God. Will honor that in a big way. So thank you for being a participant. Uh, We talked last week about how Jesus said top two things uh, that we can be doing to find life in the full in God is to love God with all that we have. That's our first major priority. And then Jesus said the second thing to do is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, And he defined neighbor as anyone that we come into contact with in, in proximity to us who has a need. And so maybe someone needs uh, a smile, a hug. Maybe they need someone to listen to them. Maybe uh, need some help with babysitting, cook them a meal, you know, going through a hard time. You know, what is it? that people around us have needs for. And so we were challenged last week to take that literally, uh, to think about who are our literal neighbors, the people who live on our street, who live in our apartment building. And so uh, our homework last week was to take home this magnet uh, of this block mat. It has kind of a a map of of just our, our, our houses around us or our apartments around us. And we were asked to write down the names of those who live in the eight closest households or apartments. And so I hope you had a chance to do that. Uh, and if not, you can continue to, to make that part of your priority. If you didn't get a magnet last week, you've got some out in the lobby. We'd love to, to, for you to be able to do that because I think to love our neighbors, we must first know who they are, must know their names. We've got to build relationships with them before they're going to trust us in, in their lives. And so uh, I hope that you're taking that seriously and, and are having some fun with that. I've had some great questions uh, about the series since we were last together, and one of them was, well, you know, Pastor Kyle... Jesus talked about loving our neighbors as being anyone, right? Anyone we come into contact with. And there's lots of people in Charlotte, lots of people in North Carolina that are our neighbors just as much as those people who live on the same street with us. So why are we so focused on the people who live next door to us? And I said, well, you know, that's a great question because you're right. That's what Jesus meant. There's anybody that we come into contact with are our neighbors. But he didn't say it's either or. Either you love the people who live next to you or you love people who don't. I think it's a both and for Jesus. And I think sometimes it is easier for us to to love people uh, who don't necessarily live right next to us uh, because there's risk in getting to know the people around us. If that doesn't go well, well, we're stuck with the people who were around us. But if we go to help someone else, that might be a little bit easier. And, And we found that true in our church. We do a lot of things to reach neighbors who don't live right next door to us. And we do that in our city here in Charlotte. Uh, We we have a partnership with an elementary school here, uh, and we help at-risk children. We support a ministry in Charlotte that helps uh, people who've been human trafficked to escape that. Uh, and to find counseling from that. We we work with two different international refugee agencies for people who've moved to Charlotte, uh, fleeing their homelands for various reasons to, to help minister to them. We go to the uptown uh, men's shelter and soup kitchen and we help out there. We go into nursing facilities and assisted living facilities around Charlotte to take communion to some of the residents there because many of them are the most forgotten people in our area. Uh, we knit hats for children uh, who have cancer up at the Levine Center and, and they've lost their hair because of their therapy, chemotherapy, and we, we take hats up to them. And so uh, it's really cool that, that we do all of this to love our neighbors. We, we support uh, New Story Church in Winston-Salem and Haywood Street Congregation in Asheville, both of those in North Carolina. Uh, these are churches that are made up of people who are homeless or battling addictions to drugs and alcohol, and they don't have a lot of funding, and so we financially support them. We, we prayerfully and spiritually support them. We have a ministry to love on uh, a church and a school in, in Bayonet, Haiti, in the northern part of Haiti, and we have all kinds of clean water projects all over the northern part of Haiti and so I'm so proud of South Park Church for truly loving our neighbors as ourselves in Charlotte and North Carolina and all the way around the world. And, and I, I, we're going to continue to do that. As Kevin said, we're going we're to pack 14,000 meals today to send all across the world. And, and so I think we do a great job at loving our neighbors who are not exactly right next door to us. I think for some of us, again... It's harder to to care for the people who live around us because there's risk involved. And if that doesn't go well, then then we can't move out of our, our home very easily and we're gonna have that tension there. And 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 sometimes it's it's harder to love the people in South Park around us than it is to go to the soup kitchen. And and so we're really trying to say, hey, look, these are our neighbors, these are the people that, that are around us right now. And, And we need to take this great commandment from God literally. And so I appreciate you're giving this this series a chance. And and whatever neighborhood you find yourself in to really try to be open to what Jesus said, the second most important thing that we can do is love our neighbors. And so I want to talk some today about some obstacles that kind of get in the way of us doing that. I kind of hit hit on one just now briefly, but there's other obstacles that get between us and loving our literal neighbors as ourselves. And so I want us to begin to think about that. And to do that, I want to introduce you to a man named Malcolm Tucker. Got a picture of him here. Uh, Malcolm Tucker was driving through the the small town of Mayberry, North Carolina one time. And it was on a Sunday afternoon right after church, and his car broke down. And he was coming to Charlotte, our city, and he wanted to get here to Charlotte as fast as he could because he had some very important business to do on a Sunday. But he was very frustrated because in Mayberry, things are slow, and especially slow on a Sunday. And so he couldn't get anyone from the local mechanic or filling station to to fix his car. And so he's really upset about that. He tried to call someone to come and help him, but there's only one line that the whole town shared in Mayberry, and when he picked it up, these two old ladies were on the phone talking about their feet problem. And so uh, he was very frustrated with this. The local sheriff, Andy Taylor, took him home to have lunch with him and his family, uh, and their deputy, Barney Fife. And so uh, this Mr. Tucker is a man in a hurry, and he is very frustrated that that Mayberry's not in a hurry. So let's see what happens uh, in the story of his life as he meets some new neighbors in the Taylors. Check this out. I love that scene. Mr. Tucker, the man in a hurry, he falls under the spell of Andy and Barney sitting out on the front porch on Sunday afternoon singing the old hymn, The Church in the Wildwood. And it takes him back to like his childhood, it looks like. And he's finally able to forget his business, his hurry. And he's really just enjoying the moment of being a neighbor there with Andy and Barney. And of course, Gomer comes in and kind of ruins the moment saying, we can fix your car. And he gets all back into his frenzy again, pacing up and down. And and then he unloads on Barney when Barney's just kind of being Barney. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but in, in my busy, frantic life, that that just is so inviting to me to be able to... Wouldn't it be great just to sit down and, and have some fun with your family and friends and not have that stress, but... You know, I'm a lot like Mr. Tucker and I get sucked right back into that frenzy of all the urgent things that I have to do and have to take care of. And so, you know, as we think about how are we are going to be good neighbors, it's hard to do that as we, we, we have that sense of urgency always pulling on us. There's always something that sucks us back into our busy, crazy lives. I want to shift gears a little bit and, and kind of shift geography over to... Uh, Uh, Denmark uh, over in Europe and I just recently listened to an audible book called Living Danishly and it's a story about a young married couple that were living in London England Um, and go Panthers hope they're doing well today and thank you for being here and not home watching your television sets while they're playing but uh, this young couple moved from London over to Denmark uh, because they got jobs there Uh, and Denmark is voted as the happiest country to live in in the world And so they wanted to go and see what that was all about, to experience that for themselves. And they were kind of getting worn down by working 50, 60, 70 hours in the corporate world of London, uh and so the husband took a job uh the wife was going to do some kind of uh consulting and some freelance writing and she really wanted to study this whole happy in Denmark kind of a thing and, and the husband's job was he he landed like the dream job of a lot of young uh children like my children he he got a job at Lego so he's working designing Lego toys and all kinds of fun stuff like that and he gets to put them together in his office and uh well that's a pretty good reason to move and so uh, uh, when he first started work in the first couple of weeks, he really wanted to make a good impression upon his new employers. And so he's used to those long hours of corporate America, or corporate London and England. And so uh, he would put in long hours. He would be there long after uh, anyone else had worked. His car would be the last one in the parking lot. And, you know, he's just, you know, talking to his wife, I'm really trying to make a, you know, good impression, trying to get, you know, as much work done as I can, learn as much about Lego as I can. And, you know, I just, I want to make that that good first impression. And and about the second week, you know, one of his colleagues came in and, you know, how how are things going? He said, "Oh, it's great. You know, we love Denmark. We're we're getting settled and everything, and we appreciate this opportunity for me to work here at Lego." And, and 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 the, and the guy said, "Well, you know, we're a little bit worried about you." He's like, "Why are you worried about me?" He's like, "Well, you know, you're always working these long hours, and your car's the last one in the parking lot, and and you're here, you know, for hours after anyone else has has left, and." And the guy said, yeah, you know, just trying to, to get a, you know, make a good first impression, trying to work hard. You know, he's hoping for the pat on the back. And, and his colleague from, from Denmark said, well, look, you've got to understand things here. Right? In, in Denmark, if you work over the allotted hours that you're supposed to work, then people think that you're not efficient in your job. And so the question around you here, around the office, is what's wrong with this guy? Right? You should be able to get your work done in 40 hours or less uh, and if not, then there's something wrong. And maybe this is not the right place for you. And that really caught him off guard. And, and the longer he worked there, yeah, sure enough, people work 40 hours or less a week in uh, Lego there. And, you know, that goes against like everything in like our bodies, right? In America thinking, wow, well, how can that company make money? How can they compete globally? Uh, but, you know, last time I checked, Lego's killing it, right? And they're making billions of dollars. And so... He began to live that lifestyle, and that was one of the the changes for he and his wife was this this slower, Mayberry-type pace of being a corporate giant in the world, and he really loved that, right? And if you're like me... And you hear stories like that, that again is enticing because I know how busy you are and how busy I am and I, and I know how busy that we are in America. And so I don't know about you, but, but that kind of stresses me out. Like, you know, I think one of the biggest areas or biggest obstacles that we have into establishing relationships with the neighbors that live right around us in the, in the apartment building or on our cul-de-sac or on our street is the lack of time. We would love to get to know our neighbors, but we just we don't have the time. We, we've got to go to work. We've got to raise families. Uh, we've got to balance the checkbook. We've got to do chores. We got to see extended family. Uh, we got to do all kinds of stuff, and we we love to have relationships with our neighbors. We just don't have time because we don't have time for ourselves, and so. But to read what Jesus says, to say that the second most important thing that God expects of us after loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love our neighbors as ourselves. Like, how can we love our neighbors as ourselves when we can't even have time to love our own families, right? And so, man, that makes me feel tense in my own life. Right, So God has this number two expectation of us to love our neighbors, but we, we just would love to do that, but we don't have time to do that. Like, So how are we supposed to do that? Because we don't live in Mayberry and we don't live in Denmark. Right? And I don't see corporate America or the American culture changing for the scripture. And so how are we as followers of Jesus or people who are checking out Jesus and wanting to find life to the full? How are we supposed to live into this great commandment when our culture is everything against it? Right. Is there any hope? Right. Well, I think there is hope. And I want to turn to the Bible today because there's always hope in the Bible. And so if, if you're feeling that tension in your life uh, of urgency and, and being over overly busy and still wanting to follow what God asked us to do, right? I think it's important for us to read the Scripture. And so we're going to be in the New Testament today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark a gospel simply means the good news about Jesus. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and Mark uh, is a guy, his real name is John Mark, and he was a first century disciple, follower of Jesus. And he's written down the, the story of Jesus, and we have that in the New Testament. We meet John Mark in the book of Acts. It's another book in the in the New Testament. And so he's sharing this episode in Jesus' life. And so what's happening is Jesus is with a crowd of people, and he's been teaching them. He's been healing them. Lots of people want to get to Jesus because they believe he can help them. Uh, And so one of those persons who's in need of some help is a man named Jairus, and he is a religious leader. He's an important leader in the local Jewish synagogue, and he comes to Jesus with a very important request. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, my 12-year-old daughter is very sick. And I think that she's going to die soon. And I believe, Jesus, you can heal her. Will you come with me to my house and heal my daughter? Because I think you can do that. And Jesus takes compassion upon Jairus. He's like, absolutely, take me to your home. Uh, And so they set out through the crowd to do this. So this is where we come into the story to see that as Jesus has this great intention to go do something, he's going to be interrupted and something's going to get in his way uh, and it's gonna demand Jesus's time. So let's see how Jesus reacts to being interrupted when he's there to do something very important. So Mark chapter five, verse 24. So Jesus went with him, he went with Jairus. And a large crowd followed him and passed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all the money that she had. So she's broke. She's been bleeding for 12 years. No one can figure it out. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because, she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. That's incredible faith, isn't it? I just, I got to touch Jesus' clothes. I'll be healed. He's that powerful, right? Immediately, her bleeding stopped when she grabbed hold of Jesus' clothes, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once now, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Jesus can feel like the power of him going out. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Then his disciples said this, you see these people crowding against you, right? How, yet, how can you ask who touched you? Jesus, we're a we're we're mob here. How in the world can you even hope to know who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, right? She, she's bold, And she's scared, right? Oh, man, did I do something wrong? But I got to be honest with Jesus. And so she went and she told him. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That's a beautiful story. This woman's been suffering for 12 years. She's spent all of her money on it. She's probably been a social outcast because she's been so sick. She's at her wit's end. She hears this Jesus, this, this, this great teacher, maybe even God himself, is kind of floating around the neighborhood, and he's healing all these people. And she's like, he doesn't even need to see me. I don't even need to talk to him. All I need to do is have faith and grab his clothes, and I'm going to be healed. And that's exactly what happens. She, she kind of sneaks a grab, I guess, of his cloak while he's walking through this busy crowd and the, the, the power goes into her. She's healed. And Jesus you know, feels that it happened. You know, he calls him out to the crowd who did this. The disciples kind of like, what are you doing? And, and, and she comes forward and he says, your faith has made you well. It's just a beautiful story. We, get, we can so easily get lost in that story. But who are we forgetting about? Jairus. His 12-year-old daughter, right? It's pretty cool. Woman's sick for 12 years. His daughter's 12 years old. Something's going on here, right? 12-year-old daughter is dying. uh, And Jesus has stopped because somebody grabbed him, uh, grabbed his cloak, right? He he doesn't necessarily understand that the healing's taking place until the woman comes forward. And I'm sure he's like, okay, this is nice, Jesus, but we got to get going. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. My my daughter's dying. We got to get there. Right? And so we pick up with the story again, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And I'm sure if, like, if we're Jairus, we put ourselves in Jairus' shoes, that, that our child has died because Jesus was delayed, uh, even to heal someone, that's nice. But, but this woman's been sick for as long as my daughter has been alive. At least she's been alive. My daughter's dead now come on, Jesus, like, which is more important? What's the priority? How, how can you allow yourself to get interrupted? Who cares who grabbed your cloak or whatever? Just keep moving, right? My daughter of 12 years is now dead, right? Now, the Bible records none of that, right? That's just me kind of trying to put myself in Jairus' shoes, you know? And, and so what Jesus' immediate reaction was, was like, do not fear, Jairus, right? It's the, it's the most often uh, command that's used in the Bible. Do not fear, but have faith. And so Jesus went with Jairus to his house. The, his daughter was dead. Jesus performs a miracle and he brings her back to life. Uh, and it's just, it's amazing and it's awesome. But I just can't imagine the, 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 the fear and the worry that Jairus had from hearing the delay of Jesus to the death of his daughter to walking to his house thinking, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter what's going to happen, right? And then the joy that, that she was resurrected. There's a lot we can talk about in this passage. The faith of the woman, the faith of Jairus, the boldness of them approaching Jesus in their own ways, the compassion of Jesus. Uh, we can talk about Mark and the gospel. Uh, this is called a Markin' sandwich. It, it happens all throughout Mark. You start one story, uh, another story interrupts it, and then you have the first story resolved. So like Jairus is like the, the, the bread, you know, the top and bottom piece of the bread, and the, the woman who was bleeding is kind of like the, the meat in the middle, right? It's this and sandwich, right? Go to lunch today, order a Markin' sandwich, see what you get. Uh, but uh, it, Mark does it all the time. But he doesn't create this. It's not like his creation. He's just reporting what Jesus has done. And so I think within that that Mark and Sandwich is something that's really powerful and important for us today. And and what it says is is that Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, whose mission was to save the entire world, he has a lot on his shoulders. Like You and I think we're important in our jobs and we have stress and deadlines and, and people looking for us to do things. right. Jesus is there to save the world. And Jesus was not hurried. Jesus was not hurried. Jesus took time for people. Jesus took time for conversations. Jesus took time for himself to go away and to rest and to recharge, right? Jesus had time in his life for interruptions. He built time into his schedule to be interrupted because he knows that interruptions are some of the best moments in life that we can be a part of, right? So Jesus Son of God, God himself, here to save the world, pretty important person, pretty busy guy, did not allow himself to be hurried, did not allow himself not to be interrupted, right? So Jesus was there for people. He made time in his schedule for people. He built time in his life to be interrupted, right? Do we do the same in our lives? Do we build time in our lives to be interrupted right that, 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 is, that is something that is very powerful that i think we really need to wrestle with so what so what does that mean for us right that's good for jesus and jairus right what does it mean for me in my life you know what's the point what's the big idea right what are we supposed to take away from this scripture right? This is, this is what I think, right? The so what moment is. In order to take the great commandment seriously, to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must create space in our lives to build relationships with those who live near us, right? If we're going to follow the great commandment, right? The second, the number two command of love our neighbor as ourselves, we must create space in our busy lives. We must create space in our busy lives to establish and create relationships with the people who live around us, right? And, and so, If if the Son of God, who's here to save the world, can build time into His schedule, then I think that you and I can do the same thing, Uh, because we are His followers. We're created in His image, And, and if He's not too busy, then we don't need to be too busy to establish relationships with the people who live the closest to us, right? So the application of that this week, what I'd like to ask you to do, if you haven't yet finished your block map magnet, I would invite you to do that. Fill those names in of of the people who live nearest you, the eight houses or or apartments nearest to you, right? But the homework for this week, the application for this week, that 50,000 people, we're asking 50,000 people across Charlotte to do is to spend one hour in your front yard, or to spend one hour in the common area uh, of the building that you live in. If you live in an apartment building, uh, if you live in a retirement community, is to spend one hour in the front yard, one hour in the common area, and see what happens, right? Now, the intent is for us to begin to get to know our neighbors, right? So we go into this prayed out, right? Prayed up. Say, God, all right, I'm going in. I'm going to give you my hour. I want, I want you to do something. Help me to begin to notice somebody or to be noticed by somebody. Help me to, to meet someone, God, or to put a face to a name or, or to take a relationship to another level. Or God, just, just do something in my life to begin to, to reach out to my neighbors. So one hour in the front yard, one hour in the in the common area, and let's ask God to, to see what happens. And again, 50,000 people doing that. Right? Now, in, in the week, we have about 268 hours, okay? So we have 268 hours. All I'm asking you to do is to build one hour into your life so that you can be interrupted by your neighbors, right? With, with the other, you know, how many, 267 hours in your life, y'all do what you need to do with that, okay? Right? And actually, yeah. Is that right? Or is it 168? I can't even do math right now. One hour, we're asking you to do that, right? All right, so. I think we can do that. Right? So 168 hours, one hour for God in our lives this week, and let's see what happens. Now, even having said that, as some of us are probably squirming in our seats right now, and uh, including me. Right? This, this is hard for me. uh, This this series is a challenge for me in multiple ways, and uh, I'll, I'll share some of those with you right now. And I know what you experience. I know how busy, crazy our lives can be. And so I know what that's like. So like in my life, like my work week is Sunday through Thursday. All right, so this is like this is like Monday for me. So Sunday through Thursday, I love what I do. Uh, you know, Pastor Lindsey and I are so appreciative for you guys appreciating us, but we we love what we do, and so we get to do God's work. We get to know all kinds of wonderful people in our church, outside our church, in the community, and so Sunday through Thursday, you know, we're working all day. Sometimes we have night meetings, and we love what we do. And then then we get home, uh, and you know, like in my life. Like what I do then is I want to spend time with my family. I want to see Laura. I want to spend time with my boys. They're 11 and 7, and so that looks like taking them to ball practice. Usually, uh, doing homework, having supper together. We we try to have supper as a family together uh, because this is this is the most precious time, right? They're they're going to be gone. They grow up one day and they're going to be gone, and that's going to be great too. But but this is a special time in our lives, so we want to we want to take advantage of that, right? And so this is special time. Then once, you know, we get through the bedtime routine and the kids are fighting trying to stay up later, right? We finally get them to bed. Then Laura and I spend time together. We have a loft in our house and we hang out in the loft and we catch up on the day and we watch some TV. We veg out that kind of stuff and we laugh and we just we relax together. And so uh, at some point, usually I fall asleep on the couch. Hopefully it's not when Laura's talking to me about her day, because that doesn't go well when that happens. And uh, then we get up the next day and we start it all over, right? And I'm sure you're thinking in your own life, you have similar routines. And so for me, Friday and Saturday are my days off. Friday's my Sabbath. It's kind of like Sunday for you. Uh, I take the boys to school in the morning, Uh, And then I have like Friday morning to kind of you know just chill out or whatever, but I end up probably doing chores or balancing the checkbook or something. Uh, I should be relaxing. Uh, Then Laura and I try to go on a date on Friday for lunch. Uh, Then we pick the boys up. We have some some family time. Go through our afternoon evening routine, and then Saturday is like our our family day. It's the only day that I don't have to go to work and that the boys don't have to go to school. Uh, I do at the Saturday night. I do look over my sermon. I do come and pray for our, our worship on Sunday. But overall, it's mostly you know, family day, and so we we try to guard that day because it's the only day that we really have all four of us uh, so much time together. And so yesterday we had an awesome day. We had Nathan had a flag football game. Uh, we went to two birthday parties for the boys. We went to a festival in the middle of that. It's crazy, but uh, not much rest. But we had a, a good time with friends. Uh, and so that's our week. Uh, And then on top of that, you know, we got to squeeze in chores inside the house, yard work outside the house, see extended family. Grandparents like to come see the kids. Uh, We have brothers and sisters. We have friends uh, from different phases of our life that we try try to stay in touch with. We're supposed to volunteer at our kids' school, which we do, right? And so at the end of the day, It'd be great to have a relationship with our neighbors, right? But I don't have time to love my wife. I don't have time to love my family. I don't have time to love my church. Like how in the world am I going to have time to love my neighbors? And so in, in saying this to you today, I say it because I understand where you are, because you're just as busy as I am if not busier. You do all that and then you come volunteer at church, which just blows me away at how awesome you all are and and serving God in our community and our church on top of all the other things that you do. Those of you who are retired that I know, you're busier than I am times 10. Like you're more busy than you've ever been in your life. You're loving it, but, but you are busy. And so I feel what you feel. And when I read that God says we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, we're supposed to find out who our our neighbors are around us and and invest time in them. I just don't have time to do that. But God says it's the number two most important thing in living life to the full. And so we've got to figure that out. Because we don't live in Mayberry, we don't live in Denmark, but God's not going to take that off the table for us. And so you know, I've wrestled with that. So I'll just tell you, you know, what has worked for me, what has worked for me and Laura in our lives. Uh, I'll kind of give you an example. So when we first got married, we were newlyweds. Like, we hibernated in our house, right? We just, we hibernated in our house. We were newlyweds, you know what I mean? But uh, beyond that, we hibernated in our house. We didn't know any of our neighbors. we come home from work. Laura was working, teaching school. Then we come home, we just hide out. We were so tired, we didn't want to see anybody. And so we, we hibernated. Then we had children, now we want to get out of the house, right? And so we want to see other adults and talk to other grown-ups and all that good kind of stuff. And so what happened was we started hanging out with our neighbor who had kids. That led to us hanging out with other neighbors who don't have kids who knew these people. And it, it was great because we really began to get to know our neighbors. Now, some of them weren't great people. We didn't really have anything to connect with. They didn't like us. We didn't like them. But most of them, we had some things in common. And, and so what worked for Laura and I is like, we have children. We got to spend time with our children, which we want to do. Let's do that with other people who have children, and let's spend time together, right? And, and so that was a way for us to, to do something with other people in our community. So, you know, that was like a, an own ramp for us. That was a hook for us to get involved. For you, it might not be children. It might be like you like to walk, and so maybe you can start walking with people in your neighborhood. Maybe you like to watch football, and you can notice who has football jerseys on your neighborhood. Maybe you can start watching football games together, right? And so, so I think God calls us to, to love our neighbors and do some of the things that we like to do together, right? And again, it's hard for me because I'm an introvert. Like I get my energy from being by myself. I have to recharge my batteries. Like Jesus would go away and he'd pray by himself and he'd spend time alone. Right? I love people, but I just, I need time by myself to recharge, right? Extroverts love people and they love being with them. That's how they get energy, right? And so it's, it's even harder for me to be a neighbor because I, like, I want to hibernate, right? But it's been so good for me having children, getting out in the community, getting to know people and, and building relationships and seeing how God can do amazing things through that. Right. When, when you have these relationships, you never know when God's going to open a door and let you be a part of something really special. So we have neighbors across the street from us, uh, the husband. Uh, It was Jewish, and the wife was Christian. She's Greek Orthodox. Very interesting religious family. And uh, they were great neighbors. They had a a son about uh, our son's age. Luke was, at the time, three years old, getting ready to turn four. We had another family down the street. They had a little boy and a little girl. Uh, the little boys about Luke's age, and so we got to know them. Our next door neighbors had older boys, uh, but we all hung out with some other people in the neighborhood, so we really got to know all these people. Our next door neighbors started coming to our church. It, it was our, our former church that we served in Ballantine before God called us here to South Park. They were coming to our church. Neighbors across the street uh, were doing the, the Jewish and the Greek Orthodox thing. The other neighbors down the street didn't go to church, didn't want to talk about God. And that's okay, right? We, we called to love our neighbors no matter what. And so we got along with everybody. Well, the neighbors down the street that didn't go to church, uh, the dad husband, he had a a terrible, terrible car wreck, and he he totaled his car. Uh, He had 19 stitches in his head. He almost died. He should have died. And um, uh, through some neighbors in the neighborhood doing some snooping online, uh, you know how neighbors can be, uh, found out that uh, he was drunk while he was driving, Uh, and so he was cited for that. And he's having to go to court, and that had spread around the neighborhood, and. This is like this, he's this like a really big, intimidating guy with tattoos, and he did computer work and uh, big into sports and stuff. And so one day, my neighbor across the street, a Jewish man, said, Kyle, would you like to come over and bless my house? Right? They're new to the neighborhood. And would you like to come bless my house? Absolutely, glad to do that. And he invited our neighbors next door who uh, were going to our church. He invited the neighbor who'd been in the car accident, and so I went over. Uh, we did the house blessing. It was really an honor for me able to, to be able to do that. Everybody knew that I'm a pastor and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the neighbor who's hosting this says, in front of everybody, uh, we should really pray for you, the the man who was in the in the car wreck. Right? Can we can we pray for you? Can we bless you? And I'm thinking, oh boy. I what's he going to say? How's he going to respond to that? You know, he could be polite. He could be standoffish. I don't know. I'm glad he asked the question instead of me. And uh, so the guy goes, yeah, that that would be be good if you could lay hands on me and pray for me. So here I am with my Jewish neighbor uh, laying hands on this guy who doesn't go to church, just drunk driver, wrecked his car, should have died. And when we prayed for him, uh, and then he wanted to talk to me about what more about prayer? What What is it to talk to God? He grew up, he said that he grew up in the church, but he'd fallen away from it. Uh, and then he asked me, would it be okay if I came to your church tomorrow? Absolutely. I'd love to have you come to our church. And so our next door neighbors uh, took him with them, uh, took him, you know, welcomed him to the church. His wife didn't come. She never came. She just is not for her. He came to our church. He began to bring his children to our church. And it, it, it just it took our relationship to a new level. And so, you know, through a relationship that had kind of been casual and just hanging out kind of relationship, man, the Holy Spirit opened up a door that I could step through and be a part of something really special because I had time for it, because I made time for it. And I'm guessing that there are people that live next door to you or across the street from you or in the apartment across from you that need God, They need a friend, they need a smile, they need a hug, they need a handshake. They they might need a meal, they might need a babysitter, they might just need somebody to spend some time with them. And you might be God's agent for that. And if we don't build enough time into our lives to have interruptions, if we don't build enough time in our lives to get to know the people around us, which Jesus says is the second most important thing that we're supposed to be doing, then, then we're wasting that time. So I just want to invite you to think about who are those people that you see? that come and go, and, and what might be their needs. Right? You don't have to jump in with some major touchy-feely, huggy kind of thing, but, but we have to begin to establish relationships with our neighbors because at some point they're going to need us, and at some point we're going to need them, and, and they're going to minister to us. And it can only happen when we know their names, we carve out time in our lives, uh, and we make them a priority. And good things can come from that. Right. If Jesus Christ, the son of God, God himself can can make time for our neighbors, we can do it. If your neurotic, introverted, crazy pastor can do it. Right. (laughs) Right. Then you can do it. Right. And so, again, God calls us this week, one hour out of your busy, crazy lives in the front yard, in the common area. Hey, God, do something really cool with this. So I'd invite you to open your heart to that and just can we close together and just saying this prayer out loud that kind of summarizes what God calls us to do. God, what is your heart for me? What is that next step you desire me to take? God, give me the courage and desire to make time to take the next step with those who live closest to me. Amen. I'd like to invite uh, Cole and our praise band back up, our praise team, uh, to lead us in our closing hymn. Will you please stand uh, and let's just keep our thoughts and hearts open for what God has for us uh, this week.